Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer Duck, and today we're getting grounded on purpose with Dr. Bonnie Smith-Whitehouse. Bonnie is a professor of English at Belmont University, and she's truly one of the most mindful, thoughtful, and amazing writers that I've met. She released a book in 2019 on mindful walking, Afoot and Lighthearted is the title of that book. And she has another book coming out this fall that I can't wait to share with you, and I've had the honor of previewing and we can talk about today. So without further ado, Bonnie Smith-Whitehouse. Welcome you, to Grounded Jen. on Purpose. It's just a joy to be here with you and to be grounded with you and to take a beat, take a moment, take a breath, take a step and, you know, talk this morning. So thank you for having me. Well, I'm just thrilled you're, you're here and that we're taking this moment together because I think oftentimes we forget to, I do, I forget to breathe. <laughs> I forget to yes. just take it all in. And we've been meaning to do this for a while. Yeah. Whenever we see each other, we're going to the next meeting or finishing up one thing. And so it's really nice to have a chance to just sit and be with you. Yeah, and talk about your amazing work, which I want to dive into. Well, so thanks. Afoot and Lighthearted. I have given this book, which is also a journal. It's an interactive book. I've given it to friends um, who've given it to friends who've given it to friends. It's mm -hmm. like a, a chain letter, a chain book. Um, it just keeps spreading. And then I went online last night. I read all the reviews on Amazon. And it's like these... Amazing, glowing reviews of how it's inspired so much creativity and changed lives. And so um, I think that just can't be understated, just the power of this book. And it came out right before the mm -hmm, pandemic it did. in 2019. It sure did. And what, what kind of effects did that have? I mean, in the timing of this book, knowing it's a mindful walking book right before a global pandemic, right. no one's experienced, you know, in 100 years. Well, interestingly, I got quite a few folks who reached out about using this book in their classes um, because it's so easily adapted to the pandemic. Um, you, could, you could assign a prompt or a short reading and send your student out in a socially distanced way or send your writer out or send yourself out and then have them come back to the Zoom call. So it was, it was very practical for professors and teachers. Um, but also I... I noticed that a lot of my friends, you know, would write and say, I'm using your book to get out of the house um, while I'm grounded during COVID. And um, so I think it was it was useful to people, um, you know, as a, as a little brain break or a little house break when they needed to get out and breathe. A lot of people walk, discovered walking during COVID. Yeah, I rediscovered. I mean, I'm a big walker. I like yeah. to hike. Um, and I used to be a runner, and I just my my bones can't do it anymore. Yeah, most <laughs> most bones. people's bodies can't take running for, for more than a few decades. Right. So but walking you can do for a lifetime. Right. But really and there's can. something when you're walking versus running, and I don't know if there's like a science to this, but mm -hmm. for me personally, when I'm walking, my creativity just you know shoots out well, everywhere. Actually, there is some specific research. Um, there is a study that is cited in the book. Um, and it's, I think it's a prezzo, but they talk about creative ideation in real time through walks, and it isn't the same with running. Um, and actually, outdoor walking, as you wouldn't, you wouldn't be too surprised to learn, um, generates more creative ideation, and people report more creative ideation when they are outside versus on a treadmill. But a treadmill isn't bad. It's, not, it's, it's better than sitting mm -hmm. if you're trying to come up with a new idea. And nature, I think, plays into that too. Mm -hmm. Just being outside and walking. I mean, I know mm -hmm. treadmill. It's it's not. It's much better than sitting. But mm -hmm. I feel like when I'm hearing, you know, 
birds. I'm thinking in that Walt Whitman space, which is what yes. <laughs> your book channels are Virginia Woolf, right? Like yeah. I, the, the book has so many quotes that go along. It's almost like a scene. I'm, I'm very much a TV person, right? Mm. My whole background's in production. But mm-hmm. like it's a scene of, okay, you're going to go on this journey, but it's almost a, a tell-your-own-adventure um, kind of book. So yeah. I, I kind of, I don't know if you've Ooh. ever thought of it that way. Oh my gosh, that really makes so much sense because I've had this secret longing for years to write a choose your own adventure book. And maybe I already did, Jen. I think you did. Did you read those when you were a kid? <laughs> yes. I love those books and I've always wanted to write one for adults. So maybe I kind of did. I think you did. <laughs> and you're and you're going to keep going, right, with this. Yeah. Um, what inspired the quotes in the book, because mm-hmm. there were so many beautiful poems, and you're obviously your background in English, you know literature mm-hmm. so well. But you picked like I, you know, every time I would just pause and I'd want to put it on a sticky note and then put it all over mm-hmm. my office, which I did. Was that hard yeah. building those quotes around the activity? Uh, not really, because I had taught this class for so many years that I had amassed a lot of examples, and I just became obsessed with um, noticing people who used walking. Paul Clay, the artist, you know, Beethoven, um, Zuckerberg, you know, Steve Jobs, Walt Whitman, Virginia Woolf, Charles Dickens, Rebecca Solnit, John Lewis, you know, all of these incredible people have very strategically made walking part of their practice. And so over the years, I just really started getting obsessed with capturing all of them. So I, you know, I would have teaching notes or a big document. When it came time, when I got the book contract or I got the deal to write this book, it really wasn't that hard to write it because I had been amassing um, the ideas, the prompts, the quotes, the categories, I think, for so long um, that kind of came together. Whenever you're writing something like this, you have a master plan, and then you have an execution. You have the book Mm -hmm. that's going to come out. Um, Something happened to you that totally grounded you, something very unexpected. Uh, very. What happened as the yeah. book was being released? So the book was released in March of 2019. And, the, um, you know, it was so much fun. I got all this, you know, these great little events and ways to share the book. And then in May, I was hiking with my kids at, um, in Sewanee, which is a place that's very important to me. We were on, on the, this super easy hike. And um, I was, you know, trying to do some of the things that are in the book, you know, talk to them about what they were seeing and noticing. And um, I stepped kind of funny in this hole. And my ankle twisted rather violently, and I fell. And I didn't just fall. I broke my leg in three places, and my ankle was, um, like, disconnected. What is the word? Um, What's the word when it's disconnected? disjointed. Yeah, it was like messed up. Yeah. Jacked up. <laughs> Jacked up is um, the word. Anyway, it was the worst pain I've ever had in my life. Oh. I had to go from am- by ambulance down to Vanderbilt and eventually have this surgery to get like bone, my bones jacked up right again and um, put some steel or titanium or whatever they do, metal in my leg. And it's just taken a while to get better. And so I was grounded. Like I couldn't put weight on my foot for eight weeks. Mm. Um, I really had to learn how to walk again. And I I remember going to physical therapy the very first time and just thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to walk again. This is major. 
and maybe, maybe being in my mid forties, probably, you know, I might've recovered quicker if I were in my mid twenties, but, um, it has been a real journey. And I've thought a lot about walking meditation, which is a piece, part of this book and the great Thich Nhat Hanh, who just, um, passed on into the next life and how he said, we are to walk as if we're kissing the ground with our feet. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to love the earth and a way to love creation. And so in my journey to kind of learn how to walk again, and, you know, I've tried to think about when I when I go down on my right foot, I do generally feel pain pretty much every step. Mm-hmm. Um, and what chronic pain is like and how to transform mentally from this feeling of pain to feeling as if that pain is a kiss from my body to the earth. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we have to shift our minds and experiencing pain as a walker has been, uh, a challenge, but I'm trying to take, take what I wrote in the book and teach myself, um, again, that I don't have to be the fastest walker or the longest walker, but if I'm walking with purpose and love and devotion and hope that that's the kind of walk I want to walk. I have to just. Pause. <laughs> I mean, and and this is it. it it's so important because I think uh, everything we do now is fast paced. Yes. Like everything, do 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 to do list mm-hmm. that ticker that mm-hmm. scrolls in your head of everything you have to do that day. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I'm gonna walk, I gotta do it 30 minutes between a meeting. I've gotta, yep. you know, I gotta do it quickly, and I want to burn calories, and right. I want to be healthy, and that's not really the point. Mm-hmm. The point is that pause and Mm -hmm. taking it in, but something as simple that we take for granted, a lot of us do, and I I know there are a lot of people who um, don't take this for granted and they've had experiences, you know, like yours, Um, but walking is something that, you know, most of us do and we don't think twice and Mm -hmm. we kind of take it for granted. Absolutely. So that's, it's so fascinating because it's just something we probably don't think about. So to hear you say your feet kiss the ground. And this is where your next book starts. Mm-hmm. You talk about your feet in the blades of grass and the way mm. you write it. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I was just like reading it and picturing you like with fireflies all around you, your your toes on the ground, mm-hmm. um, you know, walking out in, in this mindful journey. Um, and I almost think your second book is, is just like, it picks up where the first leaves off in that way. Yeah. Um, but talk about too that the, we we have the journal and the mindful walking and light uh, a foot and lighthearted. The second book is more uh, a calendar of how to keep up with that mindfulness, right? Yes, and specifically the idea of wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that, as to paraphrase Einstein, there are a couple different ways to live. You can live as though nothing is a miracle or you can live as though everything is a miracle. And I prefer to lean toward the second one, especially when it comes to the way I approach um, my sort of encounters or hope for the divine. Mm -hmm. That um, so often we are, and maybe this does, I really hadn't thought about how it led in at the end of this book, but it does lead in really well to this idea that um, there's so much out there that is wondrous, that is exquisite, that is an utter marvel. And I would rather lean into that 
as opposed to feeling certain about everything. Um, I'm someone who, um, I guess by nature, I have a lot of healthy skepticism. I'm just more interested in leaning into the things that we aren't as sure about and the things that are marvels and wonders. So I'm, I am a, always in awe of creation mm-hmm. and the natural phenomenon that are in this world. So I um, grew up near the Smoky Mountains where there is a specific um, species of fireflies, and I write about this in the book, but they all light up at the same time and they communicate to one another in this sort of cosmic way. And it's part of a mating and breeding ritual, but um, at certain times a year, you can go to the Smokies and observe this. To me, that is incredible, divine, that is, that is beyond belief. And I'm interested in those things that are beyond belief. I'm also interested in everyday things that can connect us to community, that can connect us to the world, that are very practical. Um, something else I write about in the book is that when um, Pope Francis became the Pope, the world learned about his affection for this painting called Mary Untire of Knots, and that he liked to meditate on that painting. And um, how, how amazing it is to look at the divine mother, the divine, you know, um, the woman who, who gave birth to incarnation and um, watch her patiently untie a knot. Meditating on that is a wondrous thing. And I think learning from Pope Francis, as, as, as that's an object of devotion. That, that's really fascinating to me. So the book is full of things that, that are wonders, and it is organized around the calendar, the liturgical seasons, and also a lot of um, the pagan, uh, so-called pagan uh, rituals that the Christian church translated into celebrations of saints or et cetera. So there's so much we can learn about pre-Christian um, celebrations and how they got to be connected to Eastertide, for example, or All Hallows or, you know, and so I really want to communicate a lot of that in the book, that these seasons um, are ancient rhythms and wonderful ways that we can observe wonder throughout the year. Yeah. And that, that word rhythm, that's mm. what, you know, it, it is. The book is very, uh, it has rhythm as you read it. Mm-hmm. And again, it has this intention and interactive um piece that I don't see in a lot of books Mm -hmm. and that I love. This is where I think you're just like you are an entrepreneur in this new world of of creating a book that makes you not only think, but do. Mm -hmm. And I think that like just the doing, so make a bird house or a bird feeder. You gave it simple instructions. It's like, don't be afraid of creativity. I am not a woodworker. Right. So you said, just get some peanut butter you know, make it simple, yeah. but just do. So what is yeah. that in terms of creativity? Sometimes we get roadblocked. Yes. Like, I am not a woodworker, so I'm not going right. to make a birdhouse. Right. But what is it, the importance of just doing with what you have and making, mm-hmm. even if it's not perfect, like the gifts of imperfection? What? Well, we all have, I think, family stories we can connect to and think about, like, who are the makers in your family? Not just the artists, but the tinkerers, the people who, you know, love to garden or like my mom, who amateur painter, watercolorist. It's part of our um, 
makeup to want to make stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, gosh, even even at almost 47, I'll do a watercolor and it's not that good, but I'm so proud of it. And I'm not afraid to say like, this is good, or I'll bake some bread. And I'm not afraid to say, hey, that turned out good. And I think that that's part of what the creator, the creator can teach us is that creation was made and we're told in the Genesis story and it was good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, that we are made in that image of being creative people to make things and to proclaim them good. And so that you make that little bird feeder with the peanut butter and you hang it up and you go inside and get real quiet and sit by the window and you find, you see that cardinal approach it and you, you're like, yes, I made that. <laughs> that cardinal's happy and it was good. Yeah. You know, good enough. Let's don't all worry about making stuff that's going to win awards or whatever. But let's just make things and, and take some pride in them. I love that. And the beauty you see after. So after you mm-hmm. make, observe. Observe that yes. bird coming to your feeder. Don't yeah. forget that part, yeah. right? Totally. Yeah. Um, there's a book I read uh, in it was life-changing for me. And I was raised by, my mom was a kindergarten teacher and oh, special ed it. teacher for 30 years and then wow. went on to teach college as well. Um, and she's just such a thoughtful, um, beautiful human. Like, I will cry because I just, I, she's like my soul sister. I love her so much. What's um, her name? Shelly, Michelle. Shelly. Michelle, my bell. Oh. Um, she, <laughs> but she is always creating because she has mm-hmm. that kindergarten, mm-hmm. just that aura, I guess, around mm-hmm. her. But she's with my girls a lot creating. We oh, did virtual school and she was their kindergarten yeah. teacher. Like, Gosh. how beautiful is that? Um, but I read this book recently. It's called Creative Confidence. Oh, yeah. Have you read this one? Well, I have it, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. It's, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and I did some on audio, but it's by the, mm-hmm. the um, IDEO school. Yes, Stanford. Yes, at Stanford, and it's two brothers, and they have a beautiful story Mm -hmm. too, but they say we lose our creativity. We start to become really self-conscious and stop being creative Mm -hmm. in kindergarten, like after kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So that is like the height of when we're creative, and we need to capture that creativity. We need to go back Mm -hmm. and be fearless and just put our work out there and just do it for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. is there, I mean, as you were researching and reading and writing all of this, Mm -hmm. did you see a lot of that come out in you? Like, oh, I'm just Mm. gonna do this. Gosh, absolutely. And I I still have a lot of anxiety about how people are going to perceive my work because I mean, I, you know, like you, I'm an academic and I can do academic writing all day long, but I decided in 2016, it was an interesting year. There were some crazy things that happened in this country. <laughs> and I decided that um, I wanted to write things that were read by more people mm-hmm. instead of fewer. And so um, I have anxiety, I guess, about non-academic writing and writing for the public. But I'm kinda got, I've kind of gotten over it. I'm, I'm just like, whatever, you know? And maybe part of that's getting older. But I'm just going to make the, do the best I can and put it out there in the world there's a Mary Oliver poem um, that I mention in, I don't think it's May, it may be June, um, and it's called I Worried. And I wish that I knew the poem by heart, but the speaker uh, worries about getting older, and she worries about whether her work's good enough, um, and she worries about whether the planet's going to keep on moving and spinning and whether the stars are still going to be in the sky and all these worries and worries and worries. And in the last stanza, it's like, and finally, 
I saw that all my worrying had come to nothing. And I got up in the morning and I took my old body out into the day and sang. Um, one of the things, of course, that she's been worrying about is that she can't sing. Mm. And she's just like, forget it. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to sing. My friend Margie Quinn, who um, is an incredible human being, has the words and sang tattooed on her body. And I think if I were ever to get a tattoo, that's what it would be. It would be and sang, just like Margie, just like Mary Oliver's speaker. You know, do it anyway. Um, sing anyway, paint anyway, write anyway. I'm just going to write anyway. I'm going to get the things that are in my heart and in my mind and in my, um, you know, soul, whatever that is, out into the world. And we only have so much time on this earth. I know one of, I didn't know that I would mention this today, but I've lost my best friend to brain cancer. And it's just so been sorry. really hard in a million different ways. When she got sick, she was grounded um, in and she, she'd been grounded for a, a while, um, but she still sang. She still put out all the joy and all the love and everything out into the world. And she was really honest in her writing um, and in this beautiful book that she's left us about just doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I, I am really embracing that in this next season of my life. Yeah. Doing it anyway. Do it anyway. Yeah. Do it for you too, right? Yeah. And your mental health. And yeah, absolutely. What, what is your um, friend's book's name so we can oh, all read it? Too. Absolutely. <laughs> Please. It's going to be released. Um, it actually, by the time this comes out, it will have just been released. It's called What We Wish Were True, and it's by Toulouse Schuyler Quinn, and it's beautiful. I got to... In fact, the book that is coming out that I wrote that um, is coming out in November, Tolu and I worked on our books um, simultaneously mm -hmm. a few months after she was diagnosed. Um, and we, we went away to this farmhouse and just took all of our painting. We had all these art and writing retreats. And we took all of our stuff and um, we, just, we just started working on our books together. And it was really precious to get to have that time with her to create because we had done that before she got sick, before she was diagnosed. We would take writing and painting and cooking and um, all these great things and just go away and, and have a little a little creative weekend together. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's really important. Um, it's something I want to keep doing in my life. I've, I love to get away and just close the door of a cabin somewhere and have my paints and my tea and my books and my journals and just escape that's that's heaven to me yeah very thorough as well right <laughs> yeah Walden yeah yeah Maybe. um and I, I mean I think of him often I, I know yeah. we both love to go to a park here called Radnor Lake yeah um and I when we moved here I was like I this this is it this is mm -hmm. you know this is I want to be in this general area by this beautiful lake yeah. and it's it is speaking of just miraculous places where you're seeing creation abound yeah. There's eagles that are nesting right now. I mean, mm. there's like such beautiful things. The going larkspur, on. the larkspur, Jack in the pulpit. Yeah, oh, this is the best time. Yeah, it's um, it's it's just it's such a beautiful place, and I think the wonder there. I just kind of soak it all in, which mm -hmm. is so important. Um, I want to get into something uh, that is important too in your work. Um, the the book, uh, A Foot and Lighthearted moves strategically from individual to democracy mm -hmm. to transcendence. Mm -hmm. So there is a real purpose in why you did this. Can you yeah. explain that? Yeah. So um, 
it's organized around six different themes, a sense of place, a sense of well-being, a cultivating attention, um, getting out and exploring, expressing devotion, and the devotion can be for um, other people, but also for, for the people that you don't know, and transcendence or, you know, kind of liminal spaces between this world and the next. And so I was pretty strategic about that. So it moves from the, the, the things that you see out in your neighborhood and your own personal health um, through perception and exploration. And then, you know, beyond just your perception, beyond just your attention or your body or your neighborhood, the fifth and the sixth sections are really about cultivating a sense of devotion for other people. Uh, maybe somebody you've got a crush on or you're in love with, or maybe your fellow citizens. Um, democracy depends on people showing up in bodily form. And I think we're in this really interesting time right now um, because a lot of people organize online and they organize in um, Facebook groups or t on Twitter or they organize through hashtags. But I don't think we're ever going to replace the physicality of showing up for a march or showing up for a protest. I mean, look at what's happening in Ukraine. Look at what, what happened in 2020 with the uprisings for racial justice. That being on foot, walking with your fellow citizens, some of whom you may not know, some of whom you may not fully understand, I think that, um, that walking is essential um, John Lewis, gosh, God love him, March, uh -huh. his graphic novels, March, embody that so beautifully. Um, so, you know, the movement in the book is from the individual to the collective. And that's really important. I hope that it comes through when you experience a foot and lighthearted, that, um, that I, I really believe in, in, in moving from your own experiences, your own perceptions, your own walk into this more kind of sense of the collective um, beyond just the individual. Yeah. Well, Democracy I, needs it. We need it. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I felt that in, in this writing. And again, that inspiration, I mean, thinking of John Lewis and others, um, our other greats. And starting with Aristotle, with the peripatetic yeah. school. Yeah. Um, and and our ancients of wandering the columns and teaching that mm -hmm. way into the world of that's how we're meant to move and like mm -hmm. our brains do mm -hmm. um, you know they engage more when we are in that movement. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a bone to pick with the traditional classroom. I mean, I just you know we walk around and we look at how classrooms are organized. There's these seats. They're facing the person who's in charge. It is a remnant of the 19th century industrial revolution of like making sure that somebody's in charge and you can train people up to be managed, really. Yeah. And that is, when you walk into a classroom, that's a very specific statement that's being made. And that is not always how education has been. Yeah. And we, we do learn that from the ancients. Education was about walking about, about, um, you know, sort of the perimeter of the city, observing the people and the places who were... Um, living in the city and trying to learn from them. And so I hope that in my lifetime, I will see a radical shift in the way classrooms look. Yeah. You know, I want to be part of that. Well, you've already inspired that. You and Mary Ellen, um, just this past week, I took my class out on campus. And we have so much history here. Mm -hmm. um, but we started, you know, at the Belmont Mansion and what 
you know, the history of the mansion that um, what has happened, um, the enslaved mm-hmm. who we remember. Um, and we did Mary Ellen's walking, you know, Nashville sites. Yes. And we went about and then I said, okay, find something on campus that you didn't know before and let's just question it. Love so it. one of the things, oddly enough, there are seven dog statues on, uh, on Belmont's campus. Seven. Seven. They counted seven. Um, we'll yeah. do a fact check later. Okay. But um, I said, oh, that's really, that's interesting. Okay, we're going to go sit on that and kind of yeah. understand what it is. And it was the founders of Belmont were two women, uh-huh. and they loved animals. Uh, Belmont actually, um, this is what the students had told me, you know, we're, we're doing more research, but that there was actually a zoo here. Yes. Um, so there's a, so much history of just when you walk out your front door and you walk by the same statue every day and you never mm. think twice about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I made us think about it, all of us, mm-hmm. me included. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such a beautiful thing. And I think that's the way to teach. So you've already inspired that in me and Mary Ellen has as well. Mm-hmm. To, it was just a pretty day. And I'm like, okay, we're going to scratch the syllabus, get outside. Yeah. And we're going to do this. It was so awesome. Well, and to get back to like the idea of the, uh, the ideas in my second um, book, The Seasons of Wonder Book, you and Mary Ellen have to put yourselves in a posture of wonder or unknowing, as opposed to the typical way that we think of professors as having all the answers oh, yeah. and knowing what every minute, how any, every minute of the class is going to unfold. And so I think there's a lot to be said for the openness that you two embodied in that classroom, so-called classroom, that, that class <laughs> time, I should say. Um, letting them see you without knowing the answers. That is so important. Yeah. I think that's so important. Well, no one has all the answers. That's the first thing I say. And nothing is black and white. Mm -hmm. Nothing. You know, there are no silver bullet answers to a lot of life's questions. Like this is just a constant wandering of wonder. (laughs) So, um, all right. So I want to get to our speed round of questions. I did not warn you about this. Oh, boy. um, This is our final round in just in a few words explain to me what does the word grounded mean to you grounded means rest oh i I love that rest Mm -hmm. what's keeping you grounded right now my boys and how much i love to rest with them and laugh with them and learn about what's on their mind and how their days went. And that is that love and that joy is my rest. How old are they? Nine and 11. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Rest with two boys, nine and 11. That's, uh, I have to make them lay down. <laughs> like, it's like, come cuddle with me and, you know, and we're going to rest and talk together. Oh, but, I love yeah. that. I love that. How do you funnel through or block out the noise, whether that's a phone buzzing or these voices of mm-hmm. uncertainty that we've been talking about? Mm-hmm. I've gotten very purposeful with my phone, with whatever, whatever that new thing that you can do now is to focus time. I don't mm-hmm. let it ring during the day and I don't hear my text messages anymore. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I Hopefully I won't miss anything really big. Uh, so far, so good. Yeah. Um, I also meditate every day. That's been part of my, uh, I don't know, my discipline for the past few years. If you had to sum up your purpose in five words or less, what would you say? I would quote Alanis Morissette. My mission is to keep the light in your eyes ablaze. Do you know that song? I need to go revisit that. I love Alanis Morissette. I do too. I thought you were going to say, you ought to know. Nope. (laughs) I think that is the most gorgeous way to think about the way I see my purpose is to help other people 
find and keep their light. Mm-hmm. And that song and the video that accompany it, accompanies it is life-changing. Oh. Beautiful, beautiful message. We're going to have to visit that. Um, <laughs> what's feeding your purpose right now in terms of books, podcasts, documentaries? Mm. Ooh, what a great question. So I, this is so random, but I'm in, I'm in, in, I'm studying this ancient woman named Hildegard of Bingen, and um, <laughs> I never had heard of her until I started writing Seasons of Wonder, but she was this fantastic uh, thinker who helped us think about creativity and music. She was a, um, a mystic, um, so I'm sort of obsessed with learning about her right now. Matthew Fox. I'm reading Matthew Fox's book about her as well as her own writings, mystical, wild stuff. I love that. Yeah. Check that one out. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie, for joining. This was just such an honor and Ah, a pleasure. And I am going to try to be mindful, rest my mind (laughs) a little more, pause a little more today as I look at my calendar back to back. Um, Me too. Yeah. (laughs) But thank you for that reminder. Ah, It's it's such a blessing. I love what you're putting out there. And I've really enjoyed listening to your podcasts. And I'm uh, just humbled and honored and grateful to be um, here with you and to get to speak with you. And I hope that you have a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Thank you. You too. Thanks. And thank you all for listening to Grounded on Purpose. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating, which helps others find us and helps our small team know to keep producing more episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at Grounded on Purpose or on our Grounded on Purpose Facebook page. Today's special episode was produced by Jordan Shadow and myself. Music is by Jay Loren and Michael Lekshi. Every day is a gift with a new lesson. Join us once a month as we get grounded together on purpose. Thanks again for listening.